Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up, and welcome in to a rare, non-emergency edition of Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, December 13th. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and a special guest here to talk way too early starting pitcher rankings for next season. Hello there, Scotty. Long time no see. How's it going, bud? Me? Yeah, you. Did you did you mean to introduce me? Yeah, I'm what? not the special guest. I'm just I, the I, normal. I, I'm just the normal guy everybody's used to seeing. Yeah, I just yeah. I, I wanted you're to talk to me you a first. curveball here, Scott. You're not normal at all, and that's a good thing, right? No. You are unique and special, and that's that's important. <laughs> Who is that voice that is talking? You know, know him. You know him. You love him. You've heard him here before. You've heard him everywhere before. We're talking pitching, and you know who we needed to bring on. One of our favorites, one of our friends here, one of the best softball shortstops in the tri-state area, I can (laughs) confirm. Our good friend, Nick Pollock from PitcherList. What's going on, Nick? What is happening? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, I'll I'll talk pitching. It's never too early. You know, there is no offseason. Sure. And look, sure, it's December. It's fine. Everything's going to change across the next three months. I think I have a feeling maybe Scott's, First starter off the board might change before the season starts. Uh, maybe yours might change. We'll see. Just maybe saying. that Just might not saying. to yours. I'll tell you that. But no, no, I'm I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And yeah, let's talk some pitching. Yeah. So we're gonna try and get through the top thirty or so starting pitcher ranks. We're gonna focus on Scott's, but we're gonna also compare them to Nick's top thirty starting pitchers or where he has some of Scott's uh, top thirty pitchers hmm. in his rankings. I'm gonna highlight some big disparities in the rankings and then just some interesting pitchers that I think are, you know, worth talking about at this point in the offseason. Before we get into all that, you can find Nick's rankings and a bunch of other great resources over at pitcherlist.com. So make sure to check it out. Follow him on Twitter at 
pitcher list, of course. And Nick, uh, what else do you have going on nowadays? I know you're streaming, you're doing podcasts, you're on Twitch, you're all over the place. Tell people where they can find you. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned on uh, Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash pitcherlist, I'm going through all 30 starting pitching rotations, watching video of them, uh, stats of that, and then uh, putting a podcast for those in, in January. But we have all this exciting stuff for PL8 coming in February. And uh, we're making our player pages, which I think are already the best ones out there, especially for pitching analysis, even better. So can't wait to share all of that. But yeah, just go to pitchlist.com. Check out all that we have. Yes, make sure to check it out. And before we actually get into the starter starting pitcher ranks, I did just want to ask some macro level starting pitcher questions, maybe some strategy. And if things have changed from last year uh, to this year in terms of just the environment and the way that you're handling pitching, Nick. Uh, but let's just start off like normally, what is your starting pitcher strategy in a normal fantasy baseball season? Do you have a set strategy? Do you normally wait on pitching? Do you like to get aces early on? What is your strategy? What, what is it? What is a normal fantasy baseball season? <laughs> yeah, we haven't you had that me. since 2019. Oh, geez. Uh, even that was the bouncy ball. What is? Yeah, even, even that home run. Everybody set their career high in home runs in 2019. So, <laughs> yeah, Glaber Torres, right? He can have 38 home runs I, again. I think I'm you got to go sure. back to 2015. Is the last time we oh had a normal. Gosh, fantasy that's when baseball I started, season. Scott. No, um, yeah. it was uh, okay. My strategy is pretty simple. Play to your strengths. My strength, I like to believe, is starting pitching. So I don't overspend on it. And uh, you want to find value in your draft and whatever you think you're best at. So for me, I generally don't go for too many starting pitchers early. I like to go maybe one in the first six rounds or so and then get them seven, eight, nine. And I think this year, just like last, there are some really excellent starters going around the SP20 mark. Um, as the second tier of starters or maybe second or third tier is very long uh, compared to other seasons. It does get very odd around SP50, SP60, where there is a significant drop off. So it does mean that I'm more inclined to go and jump for my fun, exciting guys around uh, rounds 13, 14, 15 than I can maybe in 19, 20 than I used to. Um, but in general, there's one phrase I always say, you're not drafting a best ball league. I am drafting with the anticipation of chasing high upside guys and then burning and churning them in my leagues in the back half of the draft. If it doesn't work out early, I want to jump on something else and plan for that. Look at the early schedules of guys. If you get a guy and you don't want to start him against the Dodgers the first weekend, why did you draft him in the 20th round? Might as well go get someone else that you might actually want to play and get early. So that is my general strategy. Go get hitting because I don't want to worry about that stuff, and then I'll figure out pitching later. Uh, you know, I, that reminds me of Kyle Gibson from last year. I think he opened up with the Marlins <laughs> and the A's. So I was just right. drafting him in the last round everywhere and just streaming him and those first two weeks. And him out. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, it. You know, I think it's a good point that you bring up just early on. You know, Scott and I have been talking about how it feels like there's more quality pitching than there has been in years past. I don't know if it's mainly because of the environment, you know, offense being down a little bit or, you know, maybe just pitching getting better uh, the past couple of seasons, whatever it might be. But it does seem like there's more viable starting pitchers compared to there, years past. So there's a middle class again. Yeah, like that was that was yeah. the big thing. That was the thing that stood out to me most during the juice ball era and which started in 2016 and kept getting worse and worse to the peak was 2019. But you know, then then things really changed last year. It started to taper off after 2019, and then it really changed again last year. And I think uh, the return of the middle class at starting pitchers is what stands out most to me. 
And I, I see it mostly as a product of just home runs not being so easy to hit anymore. You don't necessarily have to be a 12 strikeout per inning, uh, 12 strikeout per nine inning guy to, uh, to have success as a starting pitcher. So we saw guys like uh, Merrill Kelly, Miles Michaelis have good seasons. And, you know, that's kind of at the lower end of what I'm talking about. You, you go up beyond that, 50, I think, is a good cutoff point that Nick Pollock mentioned. In my rankings, that's about where you'll find Chris Bassett. And he's, uh, he's sort of the uh, – he sort of exemplifies that, that middle class at starting pitcher where there's not really an ace outcome for Chris Bassett, and yet at the same time you feel really good about having him be a part of your fantasy staff. And speaking of Chris Bassett, if you want to hear our thoughts on him to the Blue Jays, we did an emergency podcast earlier today talking about him. We highlighted that entire three-team trade with the A's, the Braves, and the Brewers. And we did talk about Kodai Senga landing with the Mets over the weekend. So again, if you want to find that, uh, it's already in your feeds. So go check it out. Nick, I don't know if you've done any research on this yet, but I feel like it's an interesting talking point. I don't know exactly how or who it's going to affect yet, but we know that there will be a shift ban in 2023 so uh, two fielders on each side of second base in the infield they cannot stand on the outfield I'm sure teams will find a way to kind of like finagle this maybe they'll like position their outfielders differently than they have in years past but have you thought about how that may affect overall pitching in baseball and and you know who might be affected most like heavy ground ball pitchers maybe they lose value something like that have you thought about this at all yeah, a little bit. Um, generally, when it comes to major rule changes, I just say, ah, whatever, uh, <laughs> and move along. There are so, this is the hardest part about fantasy baseball. Alex Chamberlain put out a great tweet about this a couple of years ago that stuck with me, saying there are so many variables. There's so many different things that we can focus on now. And it just becomes overwhelming to decide what is the thing that we're going to put our weight on. So, I decide to just keep it simple. I believe most in the repertoire of the pitcher. What is good about it? What have they done well about it? And can this change and get better? Or is it going to get worse? And other stuff like the shift band, sure, as you mentioned, ground ball pitchers generally should be worse a little bit. If it's a tiebreaker, I'll lean on that. But I'm not going to sit here and say that Framber Valdez now is going to be a four ERA pitcher because of the shift ban. I don't think he was going to be a sub three ERA guy again, but I don't think all of a sudden that pushes him a full ticked down on the ERA. So it's maybe a little bit of a difference, but it's not really something that I focus on. All right, well, let's jump into those rankings and I'm going to cluster together these pitchers in groups of five. uh, And then again, we'll highlight the biggest differences and just pitchers that stand out to me so far. Let's start with Scott's top five starting pitchers for 2023. If you're watching us live, Scott is covering his face. Nick is laughing because right off the jump, we have a huge disparity. One through five, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Corbin Burns, Sandy Alcantara, and Garrett Cole. Nick has Max Scherzer at number nine. So again, the difference there, two versus nine. Verlander at 18. So number one for Scott, number 18 for Nick. So let's just jump in. Nick, is it just like, is it age for both of these guys? Is it... um, Potential injury risk for Scherzer. We've seen that more the past couple of years. Why are you so much lower on both Scherzer and Verlander heading into next season? I'm still pretty convinced that there is a Verlander ornament on that tree because that has to be the reason <laughs> that Scott White is is in love with this. Uh, I did my ranks in a way that is the first three guys, 
um, are Garrett, sorry, Corden Burns, Garrett Cole, and of course, Sandy Alcantara, because I have a Sandy crush, if <laughs> you can't it. see that. Love it. And I, I did that because those are guys that are going to go 200 innings. I can actually depend on the volume of this. And if the volume is, does not mean necessarily wins or strikeouts. It does help a lot with it. But it also is expression of ERA in whip. If you have a guy going 150 innings versus 200, you get 33% more frames with a guy at 200 of those same ratios. That's a huge deal. And I want to have the studs that I trust to go through the full year. You don't have to worry about injuries. Don't have to worry about any of that. That's great. St. Alcantara, 228 plus innings last year. We don't expect that. But yeah, easily over the 200 mark. Then after that, I have my risky guys who could theoretically do it start every day. But they have some sort of injury question with it. And Max Scherzer, to me, is actually involved in that. He has not gone 180 innings uh, for a little bit. I think that this continues to be a problem for Max Scherzer. Do I think that his slider is one of the more underrated pitches in baseball? Yes, I do. We talk about Max Scherzer being great, but we don't talk about how good that slider is. It's insanely good. Uh, But I still think injury is going to be a factor here. And if I'm spending early in my draft on a starting pitcher, as a guy that's like, no, no, no I'm going to wait on this. But if I'm going to get one in the first three rounds, it has to be a guy that I have the most confidence at the highest floor. And floor can be defined in many ways. One major one is, is innings. I think Scherzer and Verlander have a much lower floor than those three names of Alcantara, Burns, and Cole. Uh, so I'm going away from that. I, I'm saying, no, I don't want to take that risk. I'd rather have the much better sure thing. All right, Scott, you look very confused. Now your opportunity I, to fight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I did not see his arguments going that way at all because those are pretty much the same arguments I make for taking Verlander and Scherzer that high. And I, I think maybe what the issue is, is first of all, like really crowded at the top at starting pitcher. I think, there, I think yeah. there's going to be a lot less consensus here than we're used to seeing because there's probably, you know, I could probably look at the top 20 in my rankings and and make a case for them to be number one for the most part, but certainly top 15. But what I ultimately landed on is that Verlander and Scherzer give me the most confidence. Like I, I think when, when they're that tight in terms of upside, what I was looking at, it sounds like a so similar process to you. I was looking at risk factors for each of these pitchers. What are the risk mm-hmm. factors for each of these pitchers? And age is pretty low on the list for me at this position. In fact, age tends to work in a pitcher's advantage because they're, they're, they're used to taking on this big workload. They've proven it time and time again. Um, I understand Scherzer's had trouble reaching that workload the past couple years. But it's not because he's not going the distance in games anymore. It's just because he's been he's been a little dinged up here and there. It hasn't been arm stuff. So I don't worry so much about it. Like I, I don't think it, it's you know, I, I don't think he's gonna suffer some catastrophic season that injury that ends his season early. And I do think it's because of how deep he goes into each start, there's still a very good chance he does approach, if not exceed that 200 inning threshold. But certainly for Verlander, uh He's only 175 innings this past year. Sure, it was his first year back from Tommy John surgery. This was one of the biggest workloads any pitcher's ever taken on after that. I, I don't like. I, I still think Verlander's a cinch for 200 innings. And hmm. meanwhile, he led the majors in ERA, led the majors in WHIP. He was the top pitcher in fantasy last year. So it's just by that standard, it seems weird that I have to defend him as the top pitcher in my rankings. But 
yeah, I, I, I think to me that's safer than Corbin Burns, who's only once gotten to 200 innings. Garrett Cole, you know, he has ERA issues because of all the home runs he's allowing at Yankee Stadium. And then, you know, you get a little further down from that. Like Shane McClanahan certainly hasn't proven the ability to take on workload. Uh, Spencer Strider, same thing. Like th- those seem like clearer risk factors to me than just, oh, Verlander and Scherzer are old. So about Verlander and Scherzer specifically, the, we've seen degradation with both of their repertoire. So, I mean, when it comes to age, I'm with you on, um, hey, we've seen these older guys that are just surviving past it. But the ones that have established that kind of has been Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. And I've seen in both of them in the past year, their stuff getting worse. Max Scherzer's fastball is adding a lot more hard contact than ever before. I think he got incredibly lucky with the four-seamer this past year. 227 Babbitt on the pitch after years of 300 on it and more hard contact than in 2021 um, at 31.5%, which is very average, if not below average, for a fastball, which makes him make if you remember 2020 allowed the long ball a lot. This is exactly what the fastball looked like. I think that you're going to see a lot more home runs off of that pitch this past, next year. The 229 ERA we saw from Scherzer, I think, is very generous. Um, I mean, I still have him in my top 10, but when I combine that, I do think he's going to be a lot worse from 2022 to 2023. Plus, the fact that 145 innings last year hasn't hit 180 since 2018. Uh, that is worrisome for me if I'm taking Max Scherzer early. With Justin Verlander, four-seamer compared to previous seasons, a lot worse. Uh, 10% swing strike rate as opposed to 14-15% that established everything. This, uh, this stuff across the board as his uh, slider goes, plenty worse as well. And the curveball, not really as big of a factor as it used to be as far as swing strike rate uh, goes. Strike rate went up. He had to use it more because other pitches were a little bit worse. It worked out, but he kind of got away with a lot with it too. The way I see it is that Justin Verlander had a miraculous season, 175 ERA, 0.83 whip, wonderful. And we all think, oh, he's past Tommy John, 28 starts. He's got it for 200 now. It's going to be incredible. I'm terrified. I I'm really am worried that there is something else going on that has this stuff this worse. And we're going to see that in a big way. I agree that I'm likely going to be lower in consensus. And especially the point about like the top 15 being like all over the place. Like, yes, there are so many good pitchers. Uh, No one can decide what the heck to do with Carlos Rodon, for example. Like, what do you do? I don't know. Uh, Good point about Shane McClanahan getting hurt in September um, last year, August, September. And that Krillin messed us up. It was about 165 innings. Um, And it's about, yeah, where do you want to take your risk? I don't blame you for saying, look, Verlander and Scherzer have been so good for so long and like, I'll just go ahead and take that. Um, I'm terrified of, like, I see the storm clouds coming is what I'm seeing from this and I kind of want to avoid that. ADP basically splits the difference on Verlander too because as of now, he's the SP10 off the board. So that's basically the middle of you guys. Scott has him at one again. Nick has him at 18. Uh, Scherzer, the field is a little bit lower on in general right now. SP14. Could just be the combination of age plus injuries. You know, he's been dealing with that stuff a little bit more the past couple of seasons. But let's move on to this next group here. And I know we don't want to get stuck on these guys forever, but I do want to make this point because it could come up again. Like part of the part of the issue, too, is like I'm probably not taking any pitcher till round four. Yes. So like (laughs) at least round four. So like 
you, you know, I don't, I, I, I almost don't care enough to, <laughs> to really make that big of a deal, deal of it. You know, like I'm not going to have a chance at Corbin Burns in all likelihood because like, that's just, right. I'm just not going to go for him. So if Verlander's just as good or just as valuable in my eyes, then, you know, whatever. I'll rank him number one. I, I, I feel just as good about him, if not better. 95. Mind, the wins promoted his player ranking up to, he was 18-4 last year. Uh, hopefully he can do that again, but I doubt it. The early ADP for Verlander, 50.4. Early ADP for Scherzer, 56. So even if you want to wait till the fifth round, Scott, based on that ADP, <laughs> you might be able to yeah. get either one, your number one it's, or number great. two pitcher. I, I can rank him one and two, and then that'll kind of keep myself honest, right? Yeah, like, oh, my number one pitcher is still there. I'll keep him down so that we can make sure that everyone's confused and it stays a 58. <laughs> there you go. Scott's next five starting pitchers, six through 10 in the rankings. Jacob deGrom, Shane McClanahan, Brandon Woodruff, Zach Wheeler, and Aaron Nola. Uh, relatively similar between the two sets of rankings with you two guys uh, in this group here. Just want to quickly talk about Shane McClanahan because he's probably one of the pitchers I'm struggling with most here early on in the offseason because anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I loved Shane O'Mac entering last season. But I'm pretty worried about this shoulder injury. Arguably the AL Cy Young Award frontrunner before suffering that injury in late August. Um, but obviously this is something that could linger year over year. Uh, final four starts were pretty bad for Shane McClanahan as well once he returned from it. 5.21 ERA, 1.42 whip. Swinging strike rate below 10%. Velocity, however was fine during that time. Uh, Nick, we'll start off with you here. Where are you at concern level when it comes to oh, Shane McClanahan for next season? So I have so many things about Shane McClanahan. First of all, I'm a Shane McClanahan fan. <laughs> I also call him Mick Shane um, for like McBain. But I, I I adore him. He made the fastball a huge thing with the changeup as well. And it just, the fastball was the biggest flaw for, for Shane McClanahan entering 2022. He made it one of his best strengths. Um, He's insanely good. The, really, the only question about him is, all right, what's the health? And I hate this. This is the worst thing that we do in the offseason is guessing innings and uh, and injuries. You know, it would be so easy if we just knew that everyone was healthy or how many games we got. This would yeah. be the easiest thing ever. It's yeah. like, like, what was the argument about Verlander and Scherzer? Mostly health. Okay. So I uh, with McClanahan, it was a shoulder impingement and then a neck injury. And I'm inclined to think that that's okay. That those are just kind of health things and not like scalpula damage or something along those lines. And the offseason is a wonderful thing. It is this giant big red reset button that you can just bonk on with your head and it all goes away. And so many times we see this, even like with Zach Wheeler having his shoulder uh, inflammation in the preseason. I was worried about it. it. Did not stop a thing with Zach Wheeler, not even Zach Gallant, too, who also had it. And this was in August, September. The Rays just slowed it down. He came back to the playoffs and was throwing cheddar. I mean, it, it looked like Shane McClanahan again. So I think that everything is fine here. Scott made a good argument about like, sure, he's fine now, but what's his fragility like in season? We don't know. Um, that would push him down. Per On a quality of start or per inning basis, Shane McClanahan, I think you both would agree, top five easily in this. 
I mean, 30% strikeout rate, 0.93 oh, yeah. whip, 2.54 yeah. ERA. Even that's pulled down by his September performance um, yes. when he was dealing with this. So yeah, if we could if we could presume health for Shane McClanahan and presume health right. and two hundred innings so, for Shane McClanahan, he's probably number one for me. Right. Yeah. So that's the that's the yeah. thing is like make your assessment that you want on his health. Uh, by March, we'll have a much better idea. I get a feeling that it's going to be March seventeenth. Shane McClanahan throws his four innings in spring, popping ninety nine like it's bubble gum, and everyone's <laughs> going to be like, "This is amazing." I'm going to get him in the second round. You know, it's just that we're right here in December and not wondering what he's doing at the moment. Probably getting some lovely holiday gifts. Nick, did you choose March 17th on purpose? Uh, no. Okay. I, I just thought the middle of March. All right, because I thought you were trying to make like a Shane McClanahan kind of sounds like an Irish last name. St. Patrick's oh, Day, that March Saint 17th. Patrick's Day? I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Is that, it that, always yeah. the 17th? Yeah. It's always, always the 17th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always, oh. for whatever reason, always, I like, I thought it changed every year. This <laughs> is, oh, this is alarming. And um, Frank discovered <laughs> last week that Pearl Harbor Day is always... December 7th. So. Well, that's always going to be the same day. Right. I, that makes a lot more sense that it's always the same to day. To be fair, we were in the middle of a baseball podcast. And Scott's just like, well, you know what today is. It's December 7th. And it's like the furthest thing from my mind. It's just like I wasn't thinking about it at that point. But you're right, Scott. You, well, you, you put me on the Patty's spot. They could be like, it's like Easter. When is Easter? When is Thanksgiving? I yeah. just thought St. Patty's Day was like that. But I guess that's. No, no. March 17th, the 17th, every single year. I will say, last point on Shane McClanahan, this could be a blind spot in my analysis because last offseason, I was not drafting Shane Bieber at all. And not all shoulder injuries are created equal. Oh, I'm pretty sure Bieber's was something completely different. But I was extremely nervous. And, you know, he was going in the second, third round. I and I said, too. nope. I was spooked. No Shane Bieber. I'm not drafting him. And he came out and he had a fantastic season. So yeah, that, uh, this, this could that was just... Weird. Could this just be a blind spot in my analysis? Now, just I will say, Frank, though, a little different is Shane Bieber was throwing 90-91 in those two starts when he came back. Right. And that's what scared us, right? Yeah. And what did Shane Bieber do this year? He threw 90-91. It was a worse fastball. He had yeah. a lower strikeout rate. But the thing is, the curveball and the slider were still excellent. Yeah. yeah. And he... that that saved him. But it's still, I'm still weirded out by Shane Bieber. He actually had the same amount of strikeouts in 200 innings as Spencer Strider in, I guess, 65 more innings. Something like that. Yeah. So, Strider, yeah. Strider only have 130? 135 or something. Yeah. Right around oh there. Oh, my God. So there's That's another something. layer to the Shane McClanahan skepticism than just, oh, is he broken now? Because of what happened in September with the strikeouts and the swinging strikes being down. And uh, I think maybe this is where my analysis on pitchers tends to be most different from the consensus. And I, I mentioned it already, just how much, uh, how, how much can you trust in this guy to give you the volume of an ace? And, you know, 166 innings is what McClanahan gave us last year. Obviously nowhere near what we're expecting from an ace. And, and like part of the reason I tend to value the old guys more is because... I don't trust you can do it with that kind of volume, that, that you can provide that volume, that you can hold up over it until you actually do. And Shane McClanahan was approaching it, and what happened? His shoulder started hurting, so he didn't get there. And he's like arguably the hardest throwing left-handed starting pitcher ever. He's only six foot one. Can his body really take on that kind of workload? 
Maybe, but I have no reason to believe it can. So if the fact that he got injured, it's not so much, uh, you know, is, is he ever going to be the same? It's just, is this an indication that he's not really capable of that ace workload? And I think, I think it remains to be seen. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Yeah, I think that's fair. Let's get into double-digit ranks here, 11 through 15 for Scotty. We've got Carlos Rodon, Dylan Cease, Shane Bieber, Alec Manoa, and Spencer Strider, who, by the way, you both have exactly SP15 on hey, right. Spencer Strider. Mm. Boom! Something you guys so, can agree on. Uh, I guess so. Alex. I, I thought I, I, was, I, I was looking lower than the consensus at first. When you, nice when you do you know, the balls out of the, the pit, you take them out 15 times, you'll get one right. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about one that you don't have right, and that is uh, Dylan Cease, who again Scott has at twelve, and Nick has down at SP nineteen, early ADP, SP four. People love Dylan Cease; it is no. absolutely insane. Two hundred and twenty-seven no. strikeouts last season, the fifth most in baseball, arguably the best slider in baseball. But what else does he have besides that? Nick, tell us why do you hate Dylan Cease, man? DC is comical. Okay, Uh, 10.4% walk rate last year. You do not see a 220 ERA with that high of a walk rate. I do not care how good that slider is. It is very good, and I get it. 18% hard contact allowed. That is overall plate appearances. That's second best among all starting pitchers. I understand this. I just cannot believe that he can do this for another season. I don't think he's going to have a 6.2 hit per nine after years of seven and eight. I don't think that his four-seamer can get away with it again. I feel like Jesse from Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. He cannot keep getting away with this. It's That's not exactly a good what I thought of when you said that. You know, it's uh, his curveball cannot be thrown for a strike enough. Uh, it's a really good slider. I get this. This is going to burn him, and I will tell you right now, his whip was way worse in the second half. He didn't have nearly as many explosive strikeout games as a twenty-four percent. Uh, striker rate, not his whip. I'm sorry, his strikeout rate was way worse. Not the 30% K guy he was in the first half, more like a 35%. Second half was about a 24%. Um, I think those drafting Dylan Cease are thinking, oh, okay, I just need to get all these strikeouts. 227 strikeouts this last year across 184 innings. I don't think he's an efficient pitcher. I think the whip and this peak season was 111. I think it's going to get worse than that. You cannot take an SP in the second round and have a 115 whip. That's that's not what's supposed to happen here. His E-Ray is going to go, go north of three. Strikeouts will still be there, but this is going to be very, very frustrating as the slider is everything and the supporting cast of four-seamer curveball are just not enough. Safe to say that Nick won't have any shares of Dylan no. heading into next season. Uh, and Scott, even with you ranking him as the 12th starter off the board, again, his ADP SP4 as of now, I get it. It's NFBC. It's early on. There's only 95 drafts. A lot of these drafters are shooting for upside. Dylan Cease has about as much strikeout upside as anybody in baseball. But it sounds like you won't have me either based on this ranking. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think Nick and I both rank him um, in a way that we're not going to actually draft Dylan Cease. Maybe maybe Nick's ranking is a little more of a statement. You know, I, I try not to make I, I statements with my ranking. I don't care, but I don't look at other people's rankings uh, when I make it. I just go like, this is what I think. If it's a yeah. statement, it's a statement. Whatever. Okay. So maybe not, maybe an unintentional statement, but he's, he's making the statement more nonetheless. 
Um, you know, when I was first putting together my rankings, I, I was kind of inclined like Shane Bieber, Alec Manoa. Like I, I kind of like those guys more than Dylan Cease. And I may have been influenced like, oh, look at, look at how high he's going. I, I, I can't rank him behind those two. Uh, so it, it may be a little bit of the consensus uh, reeling me in from what my initial inclinations are. But the overall point is, yeah, I have a lot of the same concerns about Cease that, that Nick does. And um, I'd be very surprised if he wound up on my team. Just Just too many walks for my liking. And I'll also raise the point that he had a 14-start stretch this past year with a 0.66 ERA. 14 starts, 0.66. That explains a lot of why his ERA ended up, final ERA ended up being 220. But there were a ton of unearned runs during that stretch. Like I remember had, that. He had a stretch where he kept... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he kept having these, like, the runs, the run column was bad. The earned run column was much lower. And... uh you know, I, the whole idea between earned runs and unearned runs is, oh, it's not really the pitcher's fault. But, you know. As a former you know, pitcher, kinda, it's never the pitcher's fault. You kind of put yourself in that position. <laughs> um, by the way, I'm, I'm envisioning a political cartoon of me on a little dinky rowboat and then the consensus in this giant cruise ship and Scott White's Dylan Cease ranking is in the middle and I've got my rod and I'm trying to pull as hard as I can <laughs> while everyone else is talking to him the other direction. It's nice yeah. over here. It's a wonderful rowboat. Sure. Come join me, Scott. That's, I may like that. That gets to the <laughs> idea too of like, I mean, we're having to parse so much at this range of starting pitcher, right? That it's just, you can make intellectual arguments for your point of view, but it, it almost comes down to gut feeling, really. If 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 we're if you're if you're forced to take a truth serum, uh, that's and, that's almost what it's like for me. And it what's it really amplifies to me is right. You're waiting to the fourth round to get a starter. I was able. I did the Pitchelstoff uh, mock draft. I was able to get Aaron Nola in the fifth, right? And I was yeah, like, great, right, beautiful. I've got it. You know, I don't need to jump to the second, third to get a reliable SP one. With this many qualified starters or, or quality starters, I should say, while also the hitting is way better than it's a big drop off. Oh yeah, um, there and you have to jump at that, and then you right. can get this. You can get Arenola, you can get Dylan Cease, Alec Manoa, whatever you want. Just mm-hmm. get them a little bit later. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. Let's take a quick break before we do that. You may have noticed we have some new short form content coming out on YouTube, 30 second, one minute videos. Uh, We also have them on TikTok, a new account. You can follow us at FBT pod. The link to follow is in the pod and the YouTube description. Let's take a break and we'll be back right after this. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Before we get back into the starter, starting pitcher ranks, I do have uh, some news and notes. Some smaller signings that have happened recently. We can quickly run through some of these. Christian Vasquez... Uh, just here on Monday, signed a three-year deal with the Minnesota Twins. He's your prototypical second catcher in a two-catcher league, 274 batting average, nine homers in 119 games last season. Gary Sanchez, in case you're wondering, is a free agent, by the way, so uh, Vasquez should be the starter, see the majority of playing time there for the Minnesota Twins. Kevin Kiermeyer signed with the Blue Jays over the weekend. Don't really think he has much value, right, Scott? Nah. Not much there. Uh, I guess there could be some ripple effects, like... Whit Merrifield, is he going to play outfield, second base? I guess now it would have to be second base, but uh, still things happening here in the offseason. So as we get closer to the season, we can figure that kind yeah. of stuff out. Yeah, Whit Merrifield's a tough one to figure out because even if you're like, oh, he can play second base now, of course they have 2021 or 2022 All-Star Santiago Espinal, <laughs> right. who maybe, maybe they'll want to find playing time for as well. I'd rather them just start Merrifield, but... That's not exactly how it played out after they acquired him. Yeah. Uh, we had Sean Mania to the Giants on a two-year, $25 million deal. Disaster season. I know because I had him in multiple locations. I was all over Sean Mania last year. Did not work out. 4.96 ERA, 1.30 whip. The walk rate was way up. Career worst, 1.65 home runs per nine. Uh, fastball velocity was down one mile per hour. The only good thing... Still had a 12% swinging strike rate, so that's pretty good. Everything else, not so much. Nick, any hope that the Giants could get Sean Mania back on track? I'll tell you this. Better in San Francisco than in San Diego and in Oakland. Uh, hopefully the velocity comes back. It was 92 in uh, 2021. Guys excited for a little bit when he was doing that. But he also lost feel for his changeup and breaking ball on um, this past year. Hopefully those can return as well. Yeah, the Giants have done a really good job getting pitchers back on track for what it's worth. You know, Kevin Gaussman the past couple of years. I know uh, Alex Cobb had a pretty good season last year as well. So Alex Wood. Yeah, their latest reclamation project, Sean Manaya. Let's see if the Giants can turn him back around. Trevor Williams is headed to the Nationals on a two-year, $13 million deal. And there was a, record, a report that he'll begin the season in their rotation. Solid season with the Mets last year, 3.21 ERA, 1.23 whip. 84 strikeouts over 89 and two thirds innings pitched. Scott, any interest in Trevor Williams in deeper leagues? I mean, I'm sure he'll be streamable at some point, but against the Marlins. <laughs> yeah, I, I would not invest any draft capital in Trevor Williams. Last but not least, you hate to see it, man. Well, actually, I'm happy for the guy because he has a job somewhere. Frank Schwindel is headed to Japan. We'll always love you, Frankie Two Hits. We'll never forget that monster second half you had in 2021. I had to in the Scott White Dynasty League, but unfortunately that came crashing down. <laughs> you, so. didn't, you didn't trade him when you had the chance. <laughs> looks I good. unfortunately traded for Frank Schwindel in a 2014 <sighs> league that offseason. Didn't give up a ton for him. but You should have yeah. hit me up, man. <laughs> I would have traded him to you. <laughs> Jeez. 
<laughs> uh, I liked him because his name was Frank. Let's be honest. Yeah, and I, you know, Frankie Two Hits. It's a great nickname. Every every box score you looked at, he had multiple hits. It was just a crazy second half that year. Anyway, it was Frank Schwindel to Japan. Let's get back to the rankings here. Sixteen through twenty. We've got Shohei Otani, Julio Arias, Max Fried, Yu Darvish, and Luis Castillo. Two big differences on this list right now. This time, Nick is higher on both of the pitchers we're going to talk about. Nick has Arias at SP6. Again, Scott has him at 17. Nick has Castillo at SP13. Scott has at 20. Let's start off with Julio Arias here, Scott. Maybe explain why you have him outside of your top 15. He's been really valuable the past two years. I mentioned the stat last week. 37 wins over the past two seasons. By far the most in baseball. Nobody else even has 30. Why are you a little bit lower on Arias? I think there are limits to Arias's upside for fantasy. I, I kind of put him and Max Fried in the same bucket. They're probably going to be really good in ERA. They're going to get a ton of run support, which is going to help their win potential. Uh, and those those are great things. But probably limited to the 180 inning range. Might be right out of strikeout per inning, if not a little lower. So they're, they're going to fall short in, in those two very important areas. Uh, and, and I think that that makes them, like when I was talking about how there may be, originally I said 20 and then I lowered it to 15 pitchers who could finish number one this year. Part of the reason I lowered it is because I was thinking about Julio Arias and Max Fried in the, at the back end of my top 20. And like, I don't think those guys can finish number one because of those issues I just laid out. All right, well, now that you mentioned Max Fried, I kind of I want to see where Nick has him ranked. SP14. So you don't necessarily agree, Nick, that you would have those guys in the same conversation. It sounds like yeah, maybe you think Arias does have SP1 upside. What do you think? I mean, I love Max Fried, though. Uh, so I don't really want to hate against that. Uh, Arias, 175 innings plus the last two years. So as far as longevity goes, uh, I feel a little bit better. Uh, about the stability of him at the moment. The win potential, I I just think it's higher because the Dodgers are the Dodgers a little bit more than Atlanta. Uh, it's just how it's gone. Their defense is excellent. It helps out with uh, his hit prevention as well. That's why the whip generally is lower for Julio Urias than uh, Max Fried. It's been more around the 105 to 110 range for Max Fried. It was a little bit better to 101 or so. Urias, 0.96, I give him the nod there as well. Uh, ERA is kind of like, all right, whichever one is, is fine. Strikeout potential is interesting because Max Fried, I think, has more potential in what he offers. I think there's more to unlock with the slider and the curveball for Max Fried. However, Urias has it made right now. His curveball is excellent. It is a massive hard contact mitigator. He is up there in hard contact, uh, 13th best among all starting pitchers. It's what you want to see. The curveball throws a third of the time, and it is just 200 batting average allowed. It's actually the highest it's been in the last three years. Uh, I think that what Urias does is just great right now. He doesn't have that swing strike rate pitch. However, the four-seamer gained in swing strike rate this past year to 13%, which is the highest it's been since 2020, and then you don't really want to count that one. It did drop in velocity slightly, but that was because of the early part of the season. And then he actually got it back later on. I think Urias is incredibly safe. Um, Max Fried, I think he is too, just with a worse whip and uh, probably a fewer wins. And I don't really think they're very far away from each other. 
Um, I just think Urias has more consistency in this four-seamer curveball approach than what Max Freed offers with his. Yeah, I don't think there's much of a downside case for either. Like, like I said, I just think they're missing that that last rung at the top yeah. of the ladder that could really uh, make them a true ace in fantasy. I'm with you. Uh, there, there's uh, It could be the four-seamer for Urias. If, if it's consistent through the entire season, we could see an uptick with those fastballs. As he is elevating a little bit more now. I. Uh, I, I wouldn't put it past him that he's able to get a little bit more whiffs than he currently does. I, I think don't think it was too high this year. 12.4% for Arias is uh, just under 70th in the majors. You want to see that explosiveness. But dang, that curveball is so good, and it just makes it easy for him to coast. Freed does actually have that slight extra potential of development for me, even though he had a lower strikeout rate. Um, if you're looking for that, but I still think Arias... Yeah, I was just thinking safest of safe here at 6. So. I'll take it. Yep. Tangential point, but I want I want to go ahead and put it out there here on December twelfth. <laughs> Braves finish with a better record than the Dodgers. Wow. Padres finish with but a better record. Does Freed have more wins than Urias? <laughs> well, that's that's a little more. Uh, but well, sure, that's I not? mean, Freed has more right. wins than Urias because Urias is. I think the rotation is better in Atlanta. I don't know if I believe that. I don't no, know. No, you don't believe that. No, See, the, I believe the like, Dodgers the will win more games. The free agent market's blown up. Like, it's gone, except for, okay, Rodan. three really big names out there. But, for like, the Dodgers yeah. clearly aren't playing in that sandbox. It, right. And, you know, Ken Rosenthal's reported they're they're leaving openings for young guys. So, they're, I'm not saying they're not going to make the playoffs because they're, mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of faith in the Dodgers to succeed in general. But, like, they're, oh, man. They're not going to be up to their usual standards this year, I don't think. Frank, write this down, because I can't wait to come back next year and be telling you how wrong I was uh, <laughs> about the, about Atlanta having a better record than the Dodgers. So I'll take the Dodgers here. Oh, Dodgers over to the Braves. All right. They have been linked to Dansby Swanson. The Dodgers have the past couple of days, but... We shall see. That would be such a turn there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, literally Braves versus Dodgers there, yeah. for the record. Everything that I've seen is that the, the Dodgers want to leave money open to make a huge play at Otani next offseason, which mm. just makes a bunch or of sense. Or just make a trade, as they always <laughs> do, for the best player at the yeah. deadline. They get everything, and it's yeah. annoying. They, yeah. they certainly don't have any lack of trade assets so oh my gosh they can do they can ultimately do whatever they want let's quickly talk about Luis Castillo Nick again you have him at SP 13 Scott at 20 not a huge disparity but you are a little bit higher on him here 11 starts with the Mariners being traded there midseason last year 3.17 ERA 1.10 whip 77 strikeouts over 65 and a third innings got the walks down overall last year the best walk rate we've seen since 2018 one thing that stands out to me is that oddly enough, while he was better last year than recent years, his changeup has been trending down since 2019. His whiff rate by year, 48%, 40%, 33%, and then 26% this past year. So it just doesn't really add up. I don't know. Luis Castillo is just kind of an interesting one. Why Why do you, why are you higher on him, do you think, than Scott? So, so if you want to hear more about Luis Castillo, Fast and I are going to talk on the On the Corner podcast tomorrow night a lot about Luis Castillo. But nice. very briefly... I have a theory that Castillo's changeup got worse because of the emphasis on the four-seamer. It's just based on release, just less pronation coming across, but then forcing me up to stay farther behind. 
Um, and that four-seamer exploded this past year. We're talking a 17% swing strike rate, which is just gorgeous. Oh, and it's hard contact rate. I gotta, I gotta emphasize this. So I'm around like 27%, 30% for league average. You don't want to do that. That's bad. 18% on a 14 four-seamer is unheard of. And this is the pitch that he's throwing a third of the time through more with the Mariners than, uh, than with the Reds. Emphasize that the slider has really come in to be a fantastic offering. 37% CSW on it, 67% strikes, sub 20% hard contact rate, 183 average. It's everything you want to see. The manor said, hey, look, we want to get Luis Castillo and turn him into a fastball slider guy with some change-ups. That has worked excellent for him. Um, we're gonna we're seeing like classic Luis Castillo in Safeco. Yes, not in Cincinnati with these home runs going crazy all the time. Oh, with a better defense and an offense that will actually get me wins. It's everything that we want. He's increasing his strikeout rate. He's going to lower his whip. He's going to increase his runs. I'm excited for this. I actually see a 200 strikeout guy. And you're saying, oh, I need to get Dylan Cease to get a 200 strikeout guy. No, just get Luis Castillo. Just do that. You'll be happy. And you won't have a 10% walk rate to elevate that whip. You know, you're going to have just as many strikeouts or maybe a little bit fewer, much better whip. I think higher win potential honestly could be better ERA with Luis Castillo. So I'm a fan. Nick, I don't know if you want to reveal this on air. I don't think it really matters, but what cell phone provider do you have? <laughs> Verizon. Okay. I was about not, to say not T-Mobile, not T-Mobile because you just referred to Seattle as Safeco. Oh yeah. It's still Safeco. <laughs> it's always Safeco. I don't care. T-Mobile park, man. <laughs> AT&T park. <laughs> that's the only one I'll ever call it. Even though it's Oracle and that's just in my head forever same thing with milwaukee right miller park it's like why do why do we got to call this american family field now it just, that doesn't <laughs> I, I, I still right. think the giants play at pack bell park so there you uh, go i mean that's before. which one is it now for the rangers is it uh, as a field or a park so the way that i always remember it now is it's field because when they were changing someone pointed out field for future park for past so that's how i always remember it okay wow yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I always remember it as like field that. now. So there okay. you go. Uh, Thank you. Let's get into the twenties here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> better be right. <laughs> I hope you're right. Someone go fact check me, and, and if I'm wrong, you could just all completely flame me. It'll be hilarious. Uh, let's get into the twenties here at starting pitcher, twenty one through twenty five. We've got Kevin Gosman, Zach Gallen, Framber Valdez, Joe Musgrove, and Robbie Ray. Scott, how do we explain what we just saw from Kevin Gosman? It was such a weird season in that his underlying numbers were fantastic. 24.4% K-minus walk rate, fifth best among qualified starting pitchers, 15.5% swinging strike rate, tied for first, 2.94 Sierra, seventh best. The problem is that he had a 363 BABIP. That was the most by far among qualified starting pitchers. Jose Barrios was second at 328. That is a huge difference, 35 points of difference. Uh, he does allow a lot of hard contact, but even with that, Scott, this BABIP outlier was just so, mm -hmm. so weird for Kevin mm -hmm. Gosman. I mean, how do we even explain it? I may not be the person to ask on this <laughs> particular panel. Maybe uh, it's a problem with Blue Jays because I just said that well, Gosman and Berrios were one and two. I, 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 I was know. going to point that out, and I will also point out that Kevin Gosman's uh, – BABIP problems were especially pronounced at home. And so it makes me wonder if there's something going on with the playing surface there. It, it is a strange dichotomy to lead all qualifiers in both swinging strike rate 
and Babbitt, meaning bad Babbitt, that like have the highest swinging strike rate and also the highest Babbitt as Kevin Gossman did. So I think it's mostly fluky, but that issue with the home away splits and the Babbitt uh, gives me just enough pause that I have Gosman. I, go- I have him 21st in my rankings. Could totally make the argument for him 12th, but I am 21st. 4.57 was the ERA at home last year for Gosman. 2.30 on the road. Uh, his Babbitt was 395 at home, 335 on the road. Nick, do you have any theories as to why this is going on with Gosman? We've heard it before in Toronto with the turf, but also I wouldn't say that they are a pronounced defensive team. Um, That said, he should not have a 3-6-4 Babbitt again. I think we can all kind of agree. Like, sure, maybe it's like a 3-15, but it shouldn't be that ridiculous. A 9.7 hit per nine. That's no. Mm -mm, Go away. It's nice that he had a 4% walk rate to help mitigate that. But it was a 124 whip in the end. So 115 whip seems reasonable uh, to me for Gosman with upside for more if it's like actually a, a fine normal Babip. Um, given that the split the splitter is still so good, uh, missing bats at a 27% swing strike rate and he's throwing it a third of the time. Yeah, that's why he led all qualified starters in swing strike rate, right? Um, fourth among the top 200 batters faced in starting pitchers as we do it. I uh, four seamer was weird. He didn't quite miss bats like he has in the past, and it got hit super hard though. Thirty nine percent hard contact on it, and in previous years we've seen Gosman hover around twenty eight to thirty percent on it. I'm a little worried that his command of his four seamer was off. Um, it's part of the reason why I might be dropping Gosman down. Actually, someone who's not in this, who's in your next tier, I'm going to be putting above Gosman. I think. Um, but I, I, I'm like, you, I have to give justice for that next guy. Um, but I, but Gosman, I still think he's going to get a ton of strikeouts. He's going to pitch a lot of innings. He's going to get a good amount of wins. The whip is going to be the biggest question mark. It might be 119, 120. Uh, and if you're able to stomach that, then you're going to be happy with Gosman. It's crazy to talk about his whip being that high when he had sub two walks per nine last season. It's just, it's crazy <laughs> how hittable he was. And again, like the, the it, fastball was just chucked in the middle so much, I think. Yeah. Um, and it can be a guessing game at times too. The slider is just a show me thing that you're lucky as a hitter if you get his slider. I, so if, if you throw a splitter a third of the time, then as a hitter, all right, then I win more often than I lose if I'm expecting not a splitter. Um, and that can happen. Let's get into this next and final group we'll talk about here today. 26 through 30 in the rankings. Christian Javier, Tristan McKenzie, Clayton Kershaw, Tyler Glasnow, and Blake Snell. Nick, who was that pitcher that you were referring to? Oh, that is Christian Javier. Um, I don't know what the difference is between him and Spencer Strider, save for about six miles per hour on the fastball. Which I know, (laughs) that's a big deal. But guess what? Christian Javier had a higher swing strike rate on his fastball than... I uh, then Spencer Strider. He throws it nearly the same amount in the zone uh, or not in the zone for strikes, while the slider also is about the same amount of strikes and nearly the same CSW and swing strike rate. They're like the same guy. It, it blows my mind. And Christian Javier is so good at elevating his four seam. It's a top five fastball in the majors. I'm not even kidding. It, it, it is. It's, it blows my mind how good this is. He throws it 60% of the time. Oh, and he plays for one of the most winning ball clubs in the majors. 
Uh, and I think over time, he's going to just be stretched out more. And Dusty Baker's just going to be gnawing on his toothpick. And there he goes. Christian Javier's gone seven innings again. 140 innings this past year. I see that going towards 180. I, honestly, just every five days, there is a chance the Astros go a six-man again. I'm not going to rule that out. Um, if they want to get Hunter Brown in the mix again, or may, I, they might just get rid of Luis Garcia in that rotation. They didn't trust him in the playoffs. But Christian Javier is going to pitch every time through that rotation, and he's going to dominate again. I'm a huge fan. 0.95 whip last year, 33% K rate, 9% walk rate. Yeah, he's he's a stud to me. Another player who could be awesome on this list, we've, we've seen be awesome in the past, is Tyler Glass now. Scott, let's talk about his expectations for this season. The last time we saw him in a full, I guess almost full year, 2021, he looked like one of the five, one of the three best pitchers in baseball, 2.66 ERA, 0.93 whip, finally got the walks under control, uh, 19.3 fantasy points per game that season. That was tied for third most among starting pitchers. We did see him at the end of last year. He made three starts, uh, looked good in the postseason as well. Velocity looked good. That's something I wanted to see from Tyler Glass. Now, what are your expectations for him this year, ranked inside your top 30? I think he'll be very good for however much he pitches. He obviously hasn't gotten to 200 innings before. He hasn't gotten to 180 innings before. Not 160, not 140, not even 120. Tyler Glasnow's career high in innings is 111 and two-thirds, at least at the major league level. So going back to 2019, he has a 275 ERA, 0.97 whip, 12.7 K per nine. Obviously, terrific numbers, but it's just like, obviously has not proven the least bit durable. And until he does, you know, I'm going to approach him with some trepidation. I still rank him 29th. I mean, I'm still happy to take him as probably at that point we're talking... Uh, second or third starting. Well, I want to like him as my second, to be honest. But as a third starting either. pitcher, I'd be happy to do it. But it's it's clearly selling out for upside. He could kind. Of, I could see him doing it kind of in a way that Strider did last year. Or I guess it's still this year, but uh, last season, he's not going to be as good as Strider was because Strider was just like historically amazing. But you know, 130, 140 innings, really good ratios, lots of strikeouts. Like I could see that from Tyler Glass now, this upcoming season. Last thing I wanted to mention was Blake Snell. Nick, I can't really blame you on your ranking. You have Snell at 47. Scott has him at 30. It's there's just so much inconsistency, volatility, year over year, start to start, month over month. You just don't know which Blake Snell is going to show up. And we saw that last year. First seven starts, 5.60 ERA, 1.44 WHIP. Final 17 starts, 2.53 ERA, 1.11 whip. Sounds like you're not expecting that Blake Snell we saw over the final three months or so next season. Yeah. Um, by the way, I think Tyler Glasnow is the Byron Buxton of pitching. I just want to throw that out there. Don't you wish that evil that on him, yeah. Nick. Come on. <laughs> yeah, sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to go after Tyler Glasnow. He'll be great for like a month. And then everyone's going to be like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then all of a sudden he'll be out for two months. And you're like, oh, right. Um, th this is really hard this year because I, there are so many guys. I have like tier five, tier six before the tier seven where Snell is. And I actually, in my tier seven is the injury tiers. What I do every single year in uh, my two early ones where I say, look, these are all the guys that are like damaged in some way. 
that by March will likely go up or down the board. Um, so my ranking at this point isn't likely to be for any of these guys what it is in March. Um, now, Blake Snell specifically, I mean, there's so many good pitchers here. It's like Jesus Lazardo, Nick Lodolo is fun, and Pablo Lopez and Kyle Wright and so on and so forth. So many good ones to chase. Blake Snell, I will not forget this. Last year, um, in 2000, after his 2021 season, he did this. He did exactly this, where he was bad, and then all of a sudden he did great, and then he got hurt, and we're like, what's going on? And the big difference then was he got rid of the changeup. He, to quote him, he put it in timeout. So here I am. It's February or so. Maybe it's this, even January. And I see Blake Snell is on Twitch. He is live right now. I saw this too. <laughs> I get excited. How can you not? Oh, man, Blake Snell is live right now. And he just started. Maybe I can go in and get a question. So I jump in. I see there's only like 60 people there. I'm getting excited. I'm typing my question. Hey, Blake Snell, gr- you know, great to see you. Uh, is the changeup still in timeout? I'm getting like insider information here by asking him on Twitch. And I will not forget this. Blake Snell is there. Oh, what's up, pitcher list? No, man, I got to bring that changeup back. I cannot wait. And I go to, I type to fast. I'm not drafting Blake Snell this year. And he brought it back <laughs> at first. And like, that was the thing. And I, I feel that eventually he changed it again got rid of the changeup and well you know he was great again it was just fastballs and breaking balls and that was it really fastball slider i don't have any faith in this i i I think he's going to keep trying to get that changeup going and by the way what is his health i don't know there's always something with blake snell too so i'm kind of avoiding it i'm happy to chase him as my sp4 or 5 but like you were telling you were saying before scott I want like three or four guys that I know out of the out of my draft. I am not taking them out of my lineup the entire year. I am I am holding on to these guys. That's it. I will find my value on the wire often or in the back half of my draft to really have a full rotation. But I don't want to draft a guy like Blake Snell or Tyler Glasnow that I'm going to have to change for this. So I'm not in. Take me out. Fair enough, man. I, I I can't blame you again. Like, there's been so much inconsistency, and just kind of wish that he would stick with what works. Is like more sliders, more curveballs, but uh, alas, we haven't really seen him do that consistently enough. Before we wrap up here, look, obviously we only got 30 starting pitchers in, and <laughs> there's going to be many more that we're going to talk about leading up to drafts in February and March, so on and so forth. But uh, maybe a few pitchers that we haven't mentioned here, uh, Scott. We'll start with you. One or two that maybe you find yourself gravitating towards or you're just like generally interested in that we haven't talked about today. Anyone come to mind? Mm. Scott's on the clock here. From, maybe, from the top 30? <laughs> maybe I should go to Nick first. No, pictures that we haven't talked about yet. From the top outside. 30 or outside? Outside the top 30. Outside the top 30, okay. Uh, yeah, go to Nick first. <laughs> Nick, you're up. Uh, two guys quickly. Jesus Lazardo, I think is excellent. Um, love him. Love him. And uh, he came back from the beginning of the season, threw harder, was throwing his curveball more, got hurt. I actually had Tyler McGill and Jesus Lazardo on the same team, and they both went down the same day. It was the worst thing ever. Oh, jeez. Um, and then he came back with something slightly slow, slower, but still very effective on that forcing, or more forcing the sinker, which is good. But the changeup was once again elite. And oh, having the changeup and the curveball with that too, I think there's a really good thing there. George Kirby is interesting to me. Because he's in a fantastic situation. It's a sophomore year where oftentimes you see guys that are younger that are getting their groove and then they can adapt from it. 
And Kirby's four-seamer is a legit whiff pitch. 16% whiff uh, swing strike rate last year is excellent. Amazing. That's better than Christian Javier's. It's just that Javier has a much better secondary pitch in his slider, and Kirby's still figuring that out. However, I think that he, if he does develop something, Kirby could be a legitimate stud. And even if he isn't, he's still a very serviceable starter for your team through the year that I won't drop. So I'm kind of leaning towards Kirby, who has the best of both sides here. You pay for the floor, but there's more upside that I think people are seeing. Yeah, I love Kirby too. I, I was thinking about choosing him for this exercise. I've done two and a half drafts so far that are that are going to be played out. I have George Kirby on two of those teams, so nice. pretty excited about that. Scotty, who you got? Yeah, there's a nice uh, group of upside pitchers there. Kirby among them. Luzardo, Lodolo, Hunter Green. But... I'm going to go sort of a different track here and say Chris Sale. Mm. I'm happy to draft Chris Sale again. I'm happy to have, I'm, I'm ready to have my heart broken again by Chris <laughs> Sale, who came back, made only two starts, feeling pretty happy with the way things were going. And then he fractured his pinky and missed the rest of the season. Obviously, just a completely fluky thing that happened to him. And, uh, says nothing about his durability, uh, but it seems like everybody's out on Chris Sale this year. So um, I'm happy to take him as my number five or something like that, probably. That's actually what I did. I took him as my number five in the pitcherless staff mock draft. There you go. And I love it. Nice. I love it because I don't need him to be everything. Like take that ceiling pick. Yeah. I'm in. And he might, he might just give you a top 15 outcome. It's possible. It's possible. He'll, he'll be well rested if nothing else. There you go. <laughs> and if you're getting if you're getting sale as your SP four or five, I, you don't even need him to go a full workload. If he gives you 130, 150 innings, I mean, those could be really valuable innings. So, well, uh, the thing is, he'll pitch. Like they'll just let him do every five. Who else is going to pitch for the Red Sox? <laughs> Red Sox need so some help. That's that. You know, it's nicer to know that he's not a hipster, right? A headache-inducing pitcher that stifles the entire roster. So I. Uh, so you can actually, when he pitches, he's healthy. He's just going. And then when he's not, he's not. And you can make your decisions. I love going for the guys like that, as opposed to the 130 that is through a healthy season. Of like, is he going this week? Is he not? Is he in relief? Is he not? That's the worst. And right. Sale won't do that. Yeah. Two pitchers I've been gravitating towards later on in drafts so far. John Gray and Edward Cabrera. Uh, John Gray, basically a two-pitch pitcher. I get it. But he was better last year outside of Colorado. And... He has the best two-pitch pitcher in baseball, the best pitcher in baseball, Jacob deGrom. Maybe he can learn a thing or two. I'm very interested in John Gray. Honestly, I could draft the entire Marlins rotation. I just love all of them. But Edward Cabrera in particular, control is a real issue, but his stuff is nasty. Fastball, 96 miles per hour on average. He has three pitches with a whiff rate over 30%, according to StatCast. So if he could just kind of rein it in and put it all together, I think we could see a pretty big ceiling season out of uh, Edward Cabrera. So someone else I do like as well. The holidays are approaching. And that means I've got to find out your favorite holiday song. Scott, you, you told me yours last year. I can't remember it. It was a purely instrumental song. Yeah. Maybe just I like, was thinking about, well, I, was I told you what last week that I, I like more of the like traditional hymn-like right? Christmas songs. But I do remember having this conversation with you last year. And what I said at that time was... Uh, Mannheim Steamroller, Deck the Halls. That's the one. Awesome yes. song. Awesome song. Love it. Great call there. Nick, you? 
Favorite holiday I mean, song? I, I love TSO a little. If you don't know what that is, then you don't know TSO. But I, if I, I remember Christmas Eve every single year going up to my grandmother's place in, in the Upper West Side or Upper East Side and coming home, putting on Z100, and every single time they'd play Dominic the Donkey. <laughs> And that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, that is know Dominic know, the Donkey. I wonder. All right, I, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is TSO. And I, yes, yeah, there I you am go. You know. I've never heard it's them wonderful. called TSO. But. They're TSO. Man. Well, you uh, knew. It's amazing. Knew. They, I, I know. they are amazing. <laughs> you know, I almost wonder if the Dominic the Donkey thing, Nick, is like a Northeast kind of territory. I bet it is. Yeah. And that's, you know, I just wanted to say, like, if you know Dominic the Donkey, that's great, too, because that's just ingrained in my childhood forever. <laughs> yes, I 100% agree. Like, I cannot go a Christmas without hearing Dominic the Donkey, so that is great. I got to give a shout out to Last Christmas. It might be the stupidest mm. song ever, but man, no, it great. is it is catchy. I, the lyrics are bad, but like the music, the singing, the music video, if you haven't seen the music video, I mean, get on it. Last Christmas by Wham. Fantastic. You know what else is fantastic? Nick Pollock for joining us here today <laughs> on the show. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at PitcherList and go to PitcherList.com to see all of rankings, articles, great resources. Again, check out their pitcher pages and you can see all the different kinds of stats and analytics they have to offer there as well. Nick, thank you so much, buddy, for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast. Yeah. For Scott and Nick, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be Back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.